Western Reaches number seven. We are a Toshi Station podcast on the Toshi Station network. I'm Saf, and with me, as always, is my other host, Megan. Hello. And today we are joined by a very special guest who is also potentially the nicest person in the entire world, who is That's John true. Beerley. <laughs> Hello. Thank you. Well, thank you, obviously, Seth, for the wonderful compliment. I will try to live up to it uh, over the course of this show. And it's great to be on the air with Megan again. We were uh, we were compatriots on, on the Force cast, so it's, it, it's great to be with her on the air again. And it is an honor to be on the Tashi Station network. I have long been a great fan of everything that Tashi Station does. They do it with intelligence, with personality, with fun, and with a lot of heart. So this is this is a huge honor for me to be here, and I'm very, I'm very grateful for it. Already living up to the is... label. Aw. <laughs> this is going to be a nice little reunion for all of us, I think. It's good. It's good. It's good. And actually, this is uh, this is my podcast debut with Saf. We've yeah. never actually been on a show together before. So that's I've I've met her before, but we've never actually been on a show before together. So this is this is this is exciting for many many reasons oh, for me. True, isn't it? I was thinking you it guys is. overlapped a little bit di- a little bit, and you did not. But I knew we did not. We did not. Saf was uh, Saf was uh, my replacement on the fort when I when I left the Force cast and uh, could not have asked for uh, that uh, that spot to be left in better hands. Aww. And it's just uh, I said it, it's great to finally be finally be on the air with uh, with you for the first time and with and with Megan again. Yeah, let's do this, people. Let's do this. It's awesome having you here, honestly. So before we start, quickly, could you give us a little bit of information about yourself so that our listeners can get to know you? Um, yeah, uh, my name is John Beerley. I have been, uh, writing for a very long time. I started writing for my, um, uh, high school newspaper in, um, in my hometown of Elizabeth, Indiana. I was telling, I was telling Megan and Saf before the show started that I live out in the woods of Indiana where cell phone reception and internet connectivity are not, uh, uh, not the easiest things in the world <laughs> always to come by. Uh, I wrote uh, movie reviews and music reviews for my college newspaper, started writing for a British movie magazine called Impact when I was in college, wrote for them for a very long time, writing movie reviews and interviews and television series episode guides. And it was just an absolute blast. And I learned a ton. And uh, I can uh, these days I can be heard on uh, Peace Fund Radio. That's a P E A C E Fund Radio. Uh, it's a charity that was founded by uh, Adrian Paul, who many of our listeners who are fans of action and fantasy will uh, will know as Duncan McLeod from the Highlander television series. Um, the charity it stands for Protect, Educate, Aid Children Everywhere. And every week, every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, we have a radio show where we talk about children's issues. And I have a segment called Hero of the Week, where I highlight a child who has founded a charity and done something amazing to help other kids. We've had some really amazing stories and incredible things that kids do. And uh, it's just been it's just been a lot of fun. And uh, I'm also working on some other writing things that are in various stages of places that I, I can't quite say things, but hopefully within uh, within a couple of months i can i can come back and and not shut up about some other cool things that are going on can i say <laughs> that we're having you on because you know a little something about writing yes that's that's very fair to say yes. <laughs> that's very fair to say yes 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 um and uh, i've i've been i've been blessed and one quick thing i will say about writing to anybody out there who is is listening if you love writing if you want to be a writer 
write. Just do it. And don't let, let anybody tell you that you can't. And, and just keep working. And even if it might take a while, even if you're 40 years old, as I am, and you started writing when you were in high school, things that you dreamed about and hoped you could someday do can happen if you keep working for it. So everybody just uh, just remember remember that. If you want to do something, do it and put in the work and everything else will fall into place when it will. The best advice possible, I think, that is always always what people have trouble with, I think, is actually doing what they need to do or what they want to do. But yeah, you you prove that you can do it totally, and it's awesome. And it, it, even if it's difficult, I've had years at a time where I was really grumpy about it, <laughs> but I kept I kept pushing through. <laughs> and uh, you will you will get to a place where uh, you will be you'll, you'll you'll get to where you need to be if you just if you keep if you keep working hard. You just you just you you have to do it. I yeah, think writers you have sometimes to do underestimate the fact that just putting the first word down is the hardest part sometimes. And I'm kind of doing that right now. So it's this advice that seems so simple, but it really does pinpoint what the hard part is. You know, I mean, there's from start to finish, they're all, all the parts are the hard parts, but starting is the most important hard part. Well, it is, it is. And both of you, both of you are very talented writers. I've read, I've read work from from both of you, and yeah, I read, I read Megan's reviews, I read Saf's reviews, and you know, I often think to myself, I'm glad I didn't write this review, because I would not have, I would have not have brought half as much to, to the to these articles as as the two of you do. You you, you just you find ways to commit to come at, at, at themes and characters from 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 new angles and fresh angles, and I'm always. Uh, envious of, of 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 some of the great angles that you you guys can find uh in uh, in your writing so kudos kudos to that and the awesome thing too about i just I, I love the fact that there there are there's just so much star wars writing out there there are, are so many people with their blogs who are doing unique things and, and and finding unique ways to celebrate something that we all grew up with that we all love and the ability to be able to share that through podcasts, through articles, websites, everything that's out there. It's a, uh, you know, we're, we're in a golden age of, of Star Wars when it comes to, you know, the, the new movies and new books and comics, but also from the, as, as fans to be able to talk about it and to be able to talk about it with, 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 with other people who love it as much as we do and understand it and get it the way that, the, the way that we do. It's a, uh, it's, it's a golden age for sure. It's, it's, it's a great time. It's a great time to be a fan of anything really. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, this isn't just a Star Wars podcast, and we don't necessarily just have you here to talk about Star Wars, because our big topic I know, today I know. is going to be Civil War, um, the new Marvel film, because we all have seen it, and we all have opinions on it, um, which probably sounds ominous. It doesn't mean to sound that ominous, because I'm sure <laughs> most of us liked it. <laughs> but first up, we have our usual sections. So what have you read recently, Megan? So I've read a lot of things recently, but the one that stuck out to me most I finished in about two days, which was a novel called Planetfall by Emma Newman. And I just found it at the library. I thought the cover looked interesting. I saw that it was written by a lady. And it was um, drew me because it was that sort of ecological sci-fi that I tend to like. So it's about a space colony that is 
um, enabled by the use of 3D printing. So their houses are printed, their all their supplies are printed, and the printer engineer who keeps everything running is the main character. And she discovers something about the planet that could cause her her town, her civilization, to sort of collapse under the weight of this own this secret. And it's about how she handles that and about how this world works. And um, one of the things that I liked about it was that this character had um, a lot of anxiety. She had uh, various... She had panic attacks. She had social anxiety. And it was written in a way that I thought um, sounded really true. It was written in a way that was kind but not sugarcoating um, from my own experience and from things that I've read, it seemed like she'd really done her research and treated this in a very um, understanding way. And it was very a unique character because she had a lot of flaws and she had a lot of strengths and all of them in ways that were very um, different from what you would normally see. She's a female engineer, so that by itself is cool. Um, it's cool to see her going about her work with very in a very scientific way so I would really recommend it it's very quick um, maybe just because it was so suspenseful I read it so quickly but the writing style was also um, just flowed very nicely so I would definitely recommend that one I think I've seen that like in the library um like, because they have that shelf that just has random books on it. I don't even know what the shelf is. But I walk past it whenever I walk in and I look at the books. I think I've seen it there. And I was like, that looks really cool. And then it was one of those days when I was like, I'm not allowed to get more books out at the moment. So I'm not going Aww. to look at it. <laughs> but that I, I sounds really was, cool. Yeah, it was published in 2015. I don't really know anything about the author. There were, um, I looked at the date of publication specifically because it mentioned uh, sort of social media. It's not like they have... Facebook or anything in this world but the entire town is connected on a network that's basically Twitter and there were some moments that um where the plot used that in interesting ways and sort of described the way their social networking worked in a very concise way and I like that a lot about it too so I'm guessing it's it's futuristic right would you say like the future society it shows is a believable one from what we have now um I think so, and I'm trying to think, so there's a very small portion of it is set on Earth, so you learn a little bit about what was happening on Earth, but the majority of it is this one colony, and so I think that um, the part that was very realistic about it was the 3D printing aspect. Um, I read about that a lot for my day job, and what was written about in this book seemed like a logical extension of the kind of thing people are doing now with printers that can print houses and printers that can print printers. Um, the part that I guess was less scientifically sound... You just blew my mind. Uh, <laughs> printers <laughs> that can print printers. Making machines. <laughs> um, they... This colony seemed like they were maybe the first to go off of Earth, um, and they built a privately funded spacecraft, flew to another system, and landed on a planet that had, you know, Earth-like atmosphere. Um, and they did have to adapt a little bit. There were there were um, disease that people were susceptible to on this planet, but um, I think the 
the survival aspect had to be a little easier than it might have been in order for the story to work. So the civilization was very realistic, but the journey to this planet seemed a little too convenient. But it had to be. That's not really a criticism. It's just like the story wasn't about the journey. The story was about the planet. Yeah, sometimes you go... Let me ask you a question, Megan. Yeah, let me ask you a question. Is is a thwack actuator involved? (laughs) And if... (laughs) <laughs> and if so, do they call it a thwackuator? <laughs> okay, so that is a reference to the Curiosity <laughs> rover, which apparently has a part called a thwack actuator. I am not a rocket scientist. I am not a roboticist. I don't really know what that is. <laughs> I think it's something to do with stabilizing the robot. In which case, no, they do not have them because i don't Why, it, <laughs> i don't think there was much robotics uh, that was one thing i wasn't sure how once you printed something how do you get it to like do you print the houses in place i don't know i had some trouble picturing that because there weren't many descriptions of like robots with legs and actuators i'm just really furious about the whole thing honestly because <laughs> how in the world do you invent something called the thwack actuator and not take the next step and think, hey, we should call this thing the Thwackuator. How do you not, <laughs> how, how does that not happen? It's wrong. NASA has it hurts, it go. hurts my heart. It hurts, it hurts my heart. I'm not going to lie. I, I think they should actually too. just hire you <laughs> so that you can <laughs> name things like that. Well, yeah, I don't understand anything about science and I'm, I'm a total engineering nitwit, but I can name things for you like crazy. <laughs> Yeah, so... So does my that book... answer your whole question, Sam? <laughs> it does, <laughs> yeah, because, because my book that I'm reading at the moment, which I might not continue reading because it is original at the library and I'm not sure I want to renew it, um, <laughs> I'm reading The Departure by Neil Asher, which seemed like a book I would really like, but my main issue with it is that the civilization that it has does not feel believable to me. It's one of those really pessimistic science fiction books. So it's like, mm. oh, everything went awful because the government is terrible and because of mass surveillance and the internet and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I mean, some like there are books that do that and it's believable. Like, you know, like I love the hunger games and that kind of stuff is in there. And there's other science fiction books, um, like the departure, not the departure, uh, that one I was reading the other day, the time one that I've already forgotten the name of. Um, uh, did you mention it last week? Cause I think I've forgotten it too. It was like the week before that or something. I can't even remember. <laughs> but we yeah, can, the, the time one that I was to... reading. Oh, uh, Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> <laughs> um, that one had like really realistic, like negative effects of social media and the internet, which made sense for our world as well. But this one just feels too dark and too grim. And I'm liking the writing and the to a point he the author has a problem of throwing in like swear words a lot when they're not necessary and like the not in just dialogue but in the actual descriptions and stuff and i'm like this isn't written enough in the characters perspectives to justify these swear words and also slurs that are happening within the writing um hmm. and so like your gotcha. book sounds nice because it sounds vaguely more optimistic than mine is and also more like actual humans I think I think it is. Uh, it, it might be. It's, a, um, it's funny, you remind me of Aurora by Kim Stanley Robinson, which is one of my favorite books, but is entirely, like, the entire thesis of that book is, like, 
don't leave Earth. Don't do it. It's not going to work. And this one, uh, Planetfall, was much more optimistic about the, the possibility of something working out on other planets. It might not work. Everything might not work out. But there is hope somewhere. I like, I like that idea of hope. I live for that idea of hope. Hope is good. So hope is good. There was um I saw a discussion online the other day about how writing in third person um third person perspective you do have to be very careful with how you use things like curse words or how you use certain perspectives because you're implied to be writing from the perspective of a character as opposed to the author and you have to really be careful with like would this character think this? As opposed to, is this a voice that I, as an author, think is effective? Do you Did you think there was a disconnect between those two things in this book? Yeah, a little bit. Like, most of the time, because there's different levels of third person. I can never remember what any of them are called. There's, like, yeah, omniscient and that like kind of stuff. And... Yeah, yeah. And it seems like, it's not omniscient, obviously, but it kind of, it's really... It feels vaguely omniscient the way it's written until it gets like certain parts where it'll like throw in a swear word and you're like, oh, it's the it's the character thinking that. But then it doesn't always match what the character's thinking. And for every single character that you watch through the third person, it sounds exactly the same. So it doesn't feel like it's swapping for characters. It just feels like it's just the author's voice in a way. And it's just him being like, this is, this seems like a good time to be edgy with my swear words. And I mean, I'm pretty sure cause it's Neil Asher and I'm pretty sure he's like a relatively well-known science fiction author. I have no clue who's actually a well-known science fiction author. Um, because I got asked that the other day and I was like, I don't know any of these people, but I, I've heard a lot of good things about this book and about his writing in general. So I was very keen to check it out, but so far it's not bad writing, but also it's not, amazing character writing he doesn't really write realistic yeah. humans so far and i get that the main character is supposed to be on the autism spectrum i think and he's like had his mind wiped and changed and things so it's understandable that he doesn't entirely act human all the time but he's still not a character i can identify with or that i find likable in any way so i'm having a lot of trouble getting through this book well the good news is you've got You've got many other books you're reading at the same time, which is my problem. I'm always reading four or five things I feel like at the same time, and it's very confusing, and I need to do better and stick to one thing at a time. But yep, yeah, are you reading. That's what anything? happens when you. That, that's what happens when you love when you love reading. It's, it's, are, you, are you reading anything interesting at the moment? I am. I am. I'm. Uh, I'm still. I'm still working my my way through uh, Bloodline, the Star Wars novel by Claudia Gray. And I am also the reason that I am not as I'm not finished with it yet is because I bought uh, The Fireman by Joe Hill, and I've been reading that. I'm a big fan of Joe Hill's work. I think he's fantastic. The Fireman is about um, rather than a zombie apocalypse, it's about a spontaneous human combustion apocalypse where people are infected oh, by the spore <laughs> oh, that basically that basically makes them burst into flames. And you never, you know, and, and you know, so you, you've got these hospitals where you have these patients who will just start to smolder and burst into flames. So obviously, you know, cities are burning down and towns are burning down because of these people who are infected. And there's this, uh, this, this courageous nurse who is uh, sort of the, the lead hero. And she's trying to make sense of this, this crazy new world and whatever dark, strange forces may be behind 
the uh, the outbreak. It's 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 really really good, and um, it's it, it and Bloodline are are having a competition over uh, how far behind I can be in a book because I'll, I'll read a little bit of one, I'll read a little bit of the other, and then next week I think on Tuesday uh, a week from well actually no tomorrow great great. The the problem will compound itself tomorrow because uh, Stephen King's Stephen King's End of Watch comes out, which is the conclusion of his Bill Hodges trilogy, uh, which was Mr. Mercedes, Finders Keepers, and now End of Watch. And I loved both of those books, so I know I'm going to start reading that as well. So now I'm going to have three books going on at the same time. Uh, I'm also reading a lot of uh, a lot of comics right now. Uh, Marvel's Vision is incredible. It's by a writer named Tom King who is getting ready to take over Batman for DC, so I'm really excited about uh, I'm really excited about that. The Vision book is really weird and strange and wonderful. It's so bizarre. It's 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 so weird. And, and I, unlike I- any other superhero book that's out there, but I recommend it because it's different. What were you going to say, Megan? No, I read two issues of Vision and I really liked them. They were very good, but like I'm I guess kind of sensitive to like family stories like I I don't know I if if a family story is too realistic about like a broken family it's just too sad like I just can't deal with it that's a good point that's a good point no I understand I understand but like there's moments in this comic where just like tiny um expressions will just be so sad or like one line and that's a good thing like that's not just like me saying I'm right, overwhelmed. Right. No, it's like, very, it's a very is, good storytelling. Yeah, it's written really well, and it's written in like a semi-detached style that I like a lot because it's told from the Vision's perspective, and he's fully aware that he's not quite human. Um, so I, I'd recommend that too, even right. though have you read all of them? Like, are you caught up? I am. I am, and it just gets weirder and stranger and. In some ways more uncomfortable, but in some ways left less uncomfortable. I feel like as, as as the story becomes more fantastical, the the realism is is easier. It's easier to handle mm-hmm. because it's in kind of a fantastical setting. Yeah, but he grounds it in those in those it, yes, he grounds it in those real emotions that 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 really bring the emotion of it of it home. I'm really impressed by it. Uh, I've also been reading a comic book called Injection, which is written by Warren Ellis, who Warren Ellis did planetary and uh, global frequency. I mean, just some of the great, really cool uh, character-driven techno-thriller um, odd odd character things, like uh, planetary, for example. Um, the, the, the subtitle of that was Archaeologists of the Impossible. About three characters just go around and just discover all of these hidden secrets of the hidden the hidden history of of, uh, of the twentieth century. It's fantastic. The injection or injection is about a group of experts, a magician, a scientist, uh, a secret service agent. All of these people who are experts in various ways who realize that we need to make sure that uh, that growth and progress doesn't doesn't stall out in the world. So they inject this 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 algorithm sort of thing into the technology of the world that ends up waking up these dark forces and everything just goes to hell and now these experts have to put the world back together again from uh the problems they inca- they they caused with the injection it's hard to explain and it sounds really weird and it took a couple of issues to really get going but it's about uh it's about it's about 8 or 9 issues in right now and i just think it's uh, i think it's fantastic 
Very, very good. That sounds cool. very cool. Yeah. It's so strange. And like you said, if, if you read the first couple of issues and you feel like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure this is, I, I, I like this. It's because it's kind of starts to come together and make sense in the third or fourth issue. And then by that point, then you can't, you can't stop buying the issues. You just, you just can't stop. And, uh, I'm really, I'm really hooked. It's called Injection by, by Warren Ellis. And I highly, highly, highly recommend it. I do want to go ahead and read more of the vision, I think, because it is like, I can see it sort of starting to escalate and like. It, oh, it escalates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you guys usually read more than one thing at a time? Because like six books is a lot for me, but it's not unheard of. I like to have, I like to be able to read different genres at the same time. Do you guys usually do that or do you prefer one at a time? I prefer one at a time, but I never end up with one at a time. Like, because I usually get a handful out from the library and I end up reading a couple of different ones because I have different moods. And then I usually have a book on my Kindle going that's generally a reread. Like at the moment, I've just started rereading The Gone Away World on my Kindle. Um, and then I have yeah. the Rogue Squadron books going because I have to read those for my Rogue Squadron podcast. Um, and I mean, generally, I'm supposed to have the other Star Wars book that I'm reading, but I'm not doing that at the moment because I, I, give up, I gave up on that for now. So yeah, I generally do have a lot of books going at once, even though I would rather just dedicate myself to one. I totally agree. I would love to read one book at a time. And I, I finish a book way better, way far more quickly when I read one book at a time. What happens when I have several going at once is that, okay, uh, I've got a little bit of time to read before I'm going to go to bed, but... I, I've got so many books going on at the same time that I just I just feel like I'm overwhelmed. Well, which one do I read? Uh, forget it. I'm just going to go to bed, and then I get you know further behind in all of them, and that's uh, so that's that's the problem that I that I tend to have. And I don't know. It's it's hard sometimes to to find to find time to read. I have you know I I have a day job that pays the bills. Um, the, uh, the Peace Fund Radio Show is 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 all volunteer, but I, I write a lot of material for that. And then he said, I have a, a couple of other, um, um, writing projects going on at the same time. So, you know, you work, you work and, and I, I knew you guys can relate to this. You know, you, you, you work, you work all day and then you come home and have to find the time and the energy to, to be creative. And, uh, you know, it's, um, it's, 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 it's draining in a different kind of way than, than physical labor is. It's not, it's not physical labor, but if you're putting your heart and your, and, and your, and your, and your, your soul and your, your passion in, in, into something, it, it, it can take a lot out of you. And sometimes I just feel like I'm too tired to, uh, to get caught up on reading. And that problem is compounded by reading more than one thing at once. So I need to, I need to catch up, finish everything that I'm reading and then go forward one book at a time. But I know I won't do that. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, I know that feeling very well. And I mean, I have that problem as well with other things like games, um, <laughs> because I usually have like a long running game that I want to play and then like a bunch of little right. games that I'm playing because I'm do you have a similar problem with that, Megan? Uh, less so with games, but I really think that that's because I tend to get more um I put games down more easily. Like, I'll put games down for years. Uh, this happened more before I started this podcast, by the way. Um, so I will put something down for years, play something completely different, pick it up again. It's not like I'm playing more than one at a time, typically. Right, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So what are you playing at the moment? 
So at the moment, I am playing a horror game with a friend called Soma, which I've wanted to play for a while. It came out a couple of years ago. It is for PC and PlayStation 4, so a friend who had a PS4 brought it over. And it has been so much fun. Um, I watched a Let's Play of it. So this game is from the same people that made... Um, amnesia. So if you know the amnesia style of horror, it's sort of similar. You're in this creepy underwater facility and there are monsters around and you have to basically avoid them. There's no combat, you just have to... you don't, you can't look at the monsters, you have to find places to hide from them. It's very atmospheric and the story is that you are a um, bookstore employee from Toronto called Simon Jarrett who ends up having um, an experiment done on his brain basically and ends up in this underwater facility which has been taken over by a rogue AI so the whole aesthetic of this game is like um, H.R. Geiger meets the Great Barrier Reef so you'll have creepy robots and pipes, <laughs> that sounds awesome. and then mollusks and fish and combinations of those and it is great i love the aesthetic it's also terrifying because it's a lot about people who have become trapped in robot bodies and don't know they're trapped in robot bodies or people who are don't quite relate to humanity in a way that makes sense until you realize that they've been living alone with robots for months and months and months um and the monsters are... Oh, that sounds awesome. It is great. I would recommend it. I don't recommend it playing playing it alone or if you are easily susceptible to horror because it's scary. And it's much scarier with the controller in your hands than it is either watching a Let's Play or sitting next to a friend. It just gets much more tense when it's you that has to do the running. <laughs> but it's really good. No, that sounds incredible. It, it, it's sort of like being in a dream where you're surrounded by things and people that are that are that are recognizable but aren't where they're supposed to be. And you just sort of feel like just nothing just it's like the whole world is just absolutely out of your out of your control. And, and that's, that's, that's a, you know, I've, I've had, I've had dreams like that, you know, where you, you, you just wake up and it takes a few seconds to realize, okay, whew. Thankfully, that all that strangeness was okay. That was not real. I'm here. I'm 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 okay. I'm in my bed. I'm 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 all right. Um, I think that's a great way to do horror is to take recognizable elements and just mix them up into places where they're not supposed to be. Because again, you feel like the world is just kind of everything's just out of your out of your control, and you don't know what because everything is so unfamiliar. You don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know what's going to come around the corner. Is is are, are there elements like that in the game that? Uh, that, that that pop up where you just like that kind of unpredictableness of what's of what's going to what's going to happen next. Yeah, I think so. And you you really hit the nail on the head with that. It's sort of dreamlike because you know it has this internal logic, but it's a little bit hard to tell what the internal logic is. And um, I like right. the dialogue a lot. There's so you play as Simon, and then the secondary character is Catherine, who's a, a scientist who's basically the Cortana to your Master Chief. Like, she guides you. And she is a little too used to only being around robots. And she doesn't... 
She never quite answers your question. Is she a robot? Is she secretly a robot? Um, sort of. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what constitutes soma spoilers. Like, but yeah, she's a she is she is a mechanical guide. Um, but she uh, she doesn't always answer your questions in the way that you expect them to, and that's part of what's so unsettling about it. But right. Right. I, I like that about it a lot. That sounds fascinating. I remember hearing about that game because I have a few friends that are really into Amnesia and I could not entirely get into it because horror games are are great because you're immersed in the game in a way that movies, you don't get immersed in movies. Um, so horror movies I'm fine with and horror novels, like whatever, I don't care. But a horror game, like I will freak out at like the, the simplest things and I especially have an inability to play games that involve you being in water in any way. Um, so I I played a bit of Amnesia, and then there's like a water level in there where there's like a monster, it's invisible, it's chasing you through the water, and I was like, no, nah, I'm out, I'm out, I'm not playing this anymore. Uh-huh. And so I think I looked up Soma and was like, you're underwater. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to take this game. Nope. That, that sounds like it might yeah. not be the one for you. And like, I'm, I don't normally like horror games, but the the aesthetic of this one fit my aesthetic so well that I just, I managed it because I liked to look at it while at the same time as being like, ah, oh, it's horrible. But it's so it's bioluminescent, it's weird robots, it's perfect. That sounds so cool. My game is far less creepy than yours, though it is a very cute little <laughs> aesthetic. Um, I played a game this week called Shrubnaught, which was a game that somebody I follow on Twitter, um, Andrew Gleason, underscore andrio on twitter they they're doing a thing where they like make a game in a week and so this was one of the game of week games and i think it was the first game of week game even and so basically you're a little a little astronaut inside of a space terrarium and you've just got to, like find some crystals or whatever and find your way through it essentially it's really simple it takes like 20 minutes or so to play the game depending on how good you are at puzzles if you're really good at puzzles it probably only take you like 10 minutes but i'm i'm not so good at puzzles and it took me a while to figure some of this stuff out um but it's really cute, and the music is adorable, and the aesthetic is adorable, because, like, it's a space terrarium. Like, how could that not be cool? So it's got, like, a, <laughs> a, a 2D platformer vibe, kind of like Metroid a little bit. Um, and, yeah, like, I, it has no narrative at all. There's nothing. Like, I couldn't pick out any kind of narrative design in any form, which is fair, considering the size of That's the game. That's cool. Um, but, of course... It's always a bit jarring to me because I'm always like, where's the story? Where's the story in this? And there's no story in it at all. So yeah. don't even bother looking. It feels like a lot of times there are games that have like a cute premise or seem simple. And then there's, you know, 30 Reddit threads of like, this is what this game is actually about. And did you feel like it was something that could be interpreted in that way or it just didn't need to be? Nah, there's, there's, it doesn't need to be. And also, I don't think there's much you could interpret from it. Um I guess you could get the idea that maybe you're, like, trapped in there as an experiment or something. But I don't think it really goes that far at all. It's just a fun, short little puzzle game that's really super cute. And I would seriously recommend it. You can go pick it up on um, andreo.itch.io for, like, a dollar, basically. Um, or a bit more if you want to pay extra for the developer, which is what I did. Because Do you ever find yourself some time when you're, when, you're, when you're playing a game that doesn't have a lot of its own story, do you sort of find yourself bringing... So maybe even subconsciously a story to it. Yeah, I'd to say keep so. yourself more more involved and engaged in it. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I can't help but like storify things. It's just what I what I do, which is probably why I'm a writer. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> trying to think of an example of something recently. Oh, I know. Sputnik Eyes. I have this little like mobile game <laughs> called Sputnik Eyes, which is uh just like a color matching thing. You ostensibly you have robots that drops on a planet and they can each only go to certain locations, but it's really you're just moving squares around to get to the right colors. And that one I was definitely like, who runs this space program? You know, what do these robots have personalities, like all that. But um Trebnot looked really cute. I saw the tweets that you made, Seth. I didn't get a chance to go play it, but it looked very pretty. Yeah, it is. And I just thought of a mobile game similar to you that I do. I got a, 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 a mobile game last night called Good Pizza, Great Pizza, which is so cute and ridiculously addictive. I can relate to that. It's <laughs> a great yeah. name. I, I played it for like an hour straight without even realizing and my phone died on me because I was so sucked into the game. <laughs> but basically you start up like a pizza joint across the road from an already established pizza joint with like this kind of mean owner. Um, and you're just trying to make pizza for people. And it's great because it's it's kind of encouraging because even if you make a bad pizza, the people are like, it's all right, I'll accept it. Pizza's just pizza. So even if you do bad things, like you don't get yelled at, which is really relaxing. But I was like, the entire time I was making pizza, I was like, okay, why am I here? Why am I doing this? What is the reason for me having this business? Why do I love pizza so much? So I was like creating this backstory for my character, even as I was just like making pizza for random people. Um, like, yeah, it, it's fun doing that stuff. And sometimes it gives you a bit more of like an attachment to the game, I guess. But also if you like cute free games about making food, go pick this game up because it's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid I'm afraid it would just make me want to go get get food. Yeah, oh my god, I, I was food. craving pizza so much last night. <laughs> I, I, I'm always I I'm I'm never not craving pizza uh and as megan can attest uh from uh from star wars celebration last year hey let's go check out the star wars thing but first let's go to the food truck yes the food <laughs> trucks are very important oh, I love <laughs> but guys is not free i think it's a couple dollars and it was free like whenever i picked it up but it was one of those it's free as a promotion thing so i think now you might have to pay a couple dollars for it oh yeah um yeah, so speaking of game writing, um, I actually got a job writing a game recently, writing a game, doing some writing for a game, which is yes. a little New Zealand game um, by a dev down here called Dynacorp, which is not out yet, obviously, because I'm working on it at the moment, um, but the Kickstarter is going up in a couple months, and when it comes out, you can be sure that I will spam it everywhere because i want to do yeah well. congratulations Thank seth you. that's awesome it's what what, awesome. what at this point are, what, what at this point are you, are you able to to tell us about it um so i think at this point i can basically say you are dinobot so you're playing as dinobot who is a robot who has crash landed on alien planet um and i think you're trying to get off of it i'm not entirely sure but basically you go around and you can either interact with the aliens and like befriend aliens that are around and the aliens are super cute i've seen some of the animations for them and oh my god they're adorable and you can also choose to instead destroy everything with your death ray that you have um and so you can choose <laughs> to be super nice or super mean and basically go through the story like that um and you try and get resources and help aliens out if you want to and there's a villain that you come up against at certain points and it seems really fun and also quite like there's there's choices you can make through gameplay and stuff like that which is always cool and i'm always here for that um and yeah it's basically just it's really cute the animation style is adorable and it's pixel art it's a platformer as well i've seen a little bit like demos of it around it 
different events we've had in New Zealand. And yeah, it's just a cool little Kiwi game. So you can go follow it. I think it's Dynacorp Game on Twitter. You should go check it out. Well, after it comes out, I would I would, I would love to hear more about the process of of writing for a game. I've never I've never done that. Yeah. And it just the 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 process of it just 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 fascinates me. It's you know been, I mean? because you're writing It's it's, it's almost like you're writing learning. a foundation that other people are going to play to play off of. So it's like you have to sort of plant the seeds that people can then take and make their own adventures in the game, so to speak. Is that is that even remotely in the ballpark of what the process is like. Yeah, yeah, it, it is a lot like that. Um, and it's got a lot, like, it's similar in a lot of ways to a lot of other kind of writing, but it's also got a lot of differences. Um, it's been a big learning process for me so far. I've only been doing it for a couple of weeks because the only games writing I've done has been interactive fiction stuff, which is more poetic or prosy or mm, dialogue stuff for um, a right, game jam right. I did. And this is a lot of um, descriptions and there will be dialogue later on, but it's a different style of dialogue to what I'm used to or what I play normally. And so I've been having to like do a lot of research and figure stuff out. And it's all very scary, but it's very fun. And I will definitely talk more on it um, when it's a bit more further on. I can talk a lot more about what's happened. In it. Indeed. Yeah, I, I look it, forward to hearing about even that Even if I wasn't writing for so. it, even if I wasn't writing for it, I'd be excited about this game anyways because it's, it's super cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. That makes it even better. That makes it even better to feel that connection to it. You'll, you'll. That'll, that'll be good. That'll be great. That'll be great. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So, does anyone have any more things to say about games before we move on to our big topic? Oh wait, we have Star Wars next as our topic. <laughs> we do. We do. We have a little bit of Star Wars news. Yeah, we will blast through the Star Wars news. Um, Entertainment Weekly with Anthony Bresnikan, I think it was. Um, yes. Yeah. They they clarified the Rogue One reshoot rumors. They're not reshooting because test shoot test shoots um test shoot test screenings with like audience people were bad and Rogue One was too dark and they have to make it lighter. That was that's not really true. Um, reshoots happen with movies. It's just a thing that happens, and they're apparently giving more intimate scenes potentially to characters, so we'll learn more about the characters. I don't know. This whole thing has just been really weird to me because movies do this um, well, what do you guys think i think it's unfortunate that it's turned into this big huge thing because you know as as, as you said this is it's it's part of the process you know reshoots reshoots happen things things change and there's so many there's so many voices to uh to satisfy you think when you're making a star wars film you've got uh, you know, you're going to have Disney is going to expect and want certain things. Lucasfilm is going to expect and want certain things. Um, even for for marketing and and toys and there, there's just so many so many things I think to satisfy that I can't imagine making making a film on 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 that level of that size with um, and I hate to use the phrase that I won't say too many cooks in the kitchen because that has a negative connotation i mean for, for for a movie like this to get made period you have to have you have to have all of those all of those people involved in making it but it's just it's 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 a lot it's a lot of cooks in the kitchen not too many but just that i would say that many cooks in the kitchen because <laughs> um you, you, you do you just you, there, there, there are lots of um you know lots of things to to satisfy and i i think that would be would be very difficult um you know and again most films go through this, um, you know, you, and 
I, I, I just feel like people are, are, are afraid and freaking out over something that's, that's a normal and, and often natural part of the film filmmaking process. And, you know, it's, it's, it's sad. It's sad when somebody like Christopher, Christopher McQuarrie, who, again, he wrote the usual, usual suspects, uh, co-wrote and directed, uh, mission impossible five recently. He's getting ready to work on mission impossible six with, uh, with Tom Cruise. I know he had done a draft of rogue one, all these rumors that, Oh, he's going to be on the set supervising the reshoots. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's totally, totally not true at all. And you have all of these, you know, just all these stories that just, it's just like a, it's like a, a snowball just rolling down the hill in an avalanche. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then suddenly, you know, it's something that's a normal part of a film shoot has become this, this, uh, um, like this dark shadow looming over the production. It's just, you know, let, let them do what they're going to do and, and trust that the people involved know what they're doing. And that when the movie comes out, uh, hopefully, uh, as you're watching it, it won't seem like there was that everything was just exactly as it was intended to be from the, from the, from the first time, from the first time it was written, just trust, trust in the process is, is what I would say, uh, what I would say to everybody. What do you guys think? Yeah. My, everything I heard from the people who have been covering movies longer than I have is that this is normal. And maybe these particular reshoots got, um, pushed into the limelight because, the news cycle just kind of grabbed them. I think the New York Post had them first and sort of made everyone else perk up. Um, But it seems perfectly normal to me. They're still on schedule for December, and that's the important part. Yeah, as long exactly, as the that's well said. is like as long as the release date is still where it should be, like you shouldn't be worried. When that starts getting moved, that's when things aren't going according to plan. But I mean Everybody's been talking about that so much, and I just feel like Rogue One's, it's going to be fine. Just wait for it to come out, and it'll be all good. Um, Yeah. I wanted to be sure to acknowledge that this was happening in the fandom, but I don't think... I I want to acknowledge it just to say that I don't think it's a big deal. Yeah, and I I totally agree with you. Um, I haven't even, like, talked about it on Twitter, because I'm like, whatever, I don't care. Um. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm the same way. I haven't acknowledged it because it's like, oh, hey, uh, a giant, a giant budgeted Star Wars movie is, uh, is, is doing some reshoots. Well, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I would, that's, 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 yeah. that's gonna happen. I would say to anybody that feels worried about this, don't worry. It's gonna be, it's gonna be fine. Um, as for other Star Wars stuff, the life debt dedication has come to light. I think the Star Wars, yeah, the Del Rey Star Wars Twitter tweeted out the dedication with a little picture of the Millennium Falcon and it says to everyone whose heart goes a flutter every time Han Solo steps onto the screen or onto the page and so it's a sweet little dedication to Han Solo fans because Han Solo is going to be in this book I guess I mean we already knew that but it's it's really cute it's a really cute dedication yeah and I thought it was particularly nice because Chuck Wendig has been getting some negative responses and has been discussing them and here this seems like a very open uh very open message like we're all fans together and i like that about it right right the other thing absolutely about yeah they they have also jakku three decades ago listed on here and so i'm wondering what is going to be happening on jakku and exactly how like three decades from uh around Return of the Jedi is um, 
TFA time period. So that this will be interesting. Yeah. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> I was so yep. like enth- enthralled by the little Millennium Falcon. It is a good Millennium Falcon. It is. It's a very good. It's a very good Falcon for sure. For sure. Yeah. When when does this book come out again? July. Mid July. Yeah. Ugh, I've got to finish so many books before that. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> it gives me motivation. It gives me motivation to finish everything else. I um I enjoyed I enjoyed Aftermath a lot and I'm really I'm really excited about this. One of my one of my favorite bits in Aftermath was that little hint about Han and Chewie saying, "You know what? Let's just let's just drop this mission that we're on and let's let's go save the Wookiees." I love that. I love I love the idea of that. It's such a Han and Chewie thing to do. So the thought of actually seeing that and seeing the aftermath characters interact with uh, with Han and Chewie, I'm I'm so excited. I'm so ready for this book. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be dang good. So that's all we Indeed. have about Star Wars this week. So we're gonna move on to our big topic this week this fortnight um which is captain america civil war (laughs) we know we're a little bit late talking about it but also we wanted to talk about it with john here um and yeah so for anyone who doesn't know and i'm sure everybody listening to this podcast does know it is the movie that's based off of the comic event which was some time ago i should know because i really like the comics event and i read it as it was coming out um which was civil war which was when tony and iron man and various superhero teams aligned with them clashed over a superhero registration act in the books which is different to what it is in the movie um in the movie instead it is the zakovia accords i think is that what it was called yes yeah sakovia based on the yeah yeah sakovia accords yes age of ultron yeah so um I had I didn't know how I was going to feel going to it. By the way, we are going to spoil this movie, so if you haven't seen it yet, because it's been out for quite a while, so I feel like it's okay for us to spoil. Yes. So if you haven't seen it yet, yeah, don't we'll listen to the rest the of this. Thing. Yeah, we will spoil the heck out of this. Um, so don't listen to us right now if you don't want spoilers for that movie. Um, so yeah, I went into it because, like I said, I loved the comic events of War. It was possibly my favorite event that marvel has done um i know there's a lot of mixed feelings on it and a lot of people don't like it but at the time that i read it was when i was really getting into marvel for the first time and i really liked captain america and i really liked iron man like they were my two favorites at the time and so seeing them clash over that was really cool and so i was really excited for this movie but i was also really worried because i did not like ultron at all um but i feel like it was actually pretty good what did you two think yeah, I thought it did a lot of the... It tried to do the same things that Ultron did, but it did them better. Um, I... <laughs> it, it did. It had such a huge ensemble. Um, and I've been into Marvel. Mostly the movies, I don't really read the comics very much, except here and there. Like, I read the Vision comic here and there. I've read some uh, Iron Man comics. But I mostly focus on the movies. So, especially... From the very first scene of this, this movie expects you to know who these characters are. It understands that you probably have a pre-existing attachment to them, and that helped. But I thought it developed them in very interesting ways. It showed more about... I mean, Tony Stark's characterization is... His whole story is that he doesn't learn sometimes. He took none of the lessons he learned in Iron Man 3. He took nothing none of them into Age of Ultron and, like, none of them into this movie. 
But he was... And I love that he admits it. I love that he actually admits that. He's like, I can't stop. I love that he admits it. That's true. He is a little bit self-aware. <laughs> um, so I was... Which either makes it better or possibly worse. <laughs> yeah, not, not sure. Um, but I could understand where he's coming from. So, like, what I, what I said on Twitter was that I'm Team Iron Man emotionally, but Team Cap ideologically. And it very clearly laid out <laughs> why these characters believed that they uh, needed to do what they did, and I liked most of the new characters as well. Yeah, this was... Um, you know, I, I did not read... I did not read the Civil War... Uh, comics at the time civil war was out um i went a long time without reading much marvel because not out of a lack of interest in the marvel stories or uh certainly not a lack of love of the marvel characters but there were just I, there were so many crossover events that to me it was just overwhelming it's like i just i don't even know where to start and i don't know how to how to read one of these stories without having to buy you know four hundred dollars worth of worth of comics so at the time I was reading mostly DC and then the new 52 happened and uh, totally destroyed much of what I loved about all of those characters. So I stopped reading DC um, except for Batman and Wonder Woman until Brian Azzarello left. Um, his, his run was fantastic and I've slowly started to get back into Marvel again. I'm reading uh, Jason Aaron's uh, Jason Aaron. Of course, he's doing the, the, the star Wars series for Marvel, his Dr. Strange, his Thor, uh, I love I love those, and uh, so it's it's been fun for me to kind of get back into the to, to the Marvel comics again. Of course, just in time for this big Captain America revelation that everybody's in an uproar about. I'm still not sure how I feel about that because it just seems so overwhelmingly ridiculous that it just doesn't even it doesn't even make sense. Like I feel like can I talk about what it is? Is it okay to say yeah, what it yeah, is? Totally. I think everybody's probably heard. Yeah, the whole Captain America that Captain America has been a, a sleeper agent for for Hydra for. Uh, basically, uh, most of his existence, uh, you know, to me, I'm not offended by it and I'm not in an uproar about it because to me, it's just so ridiculous. It's like, it, it just doesn't even make sense. That's yeah. kind of my reaction to the whole controversy. It's like, I, I can't be mad about this because it's just, it's just so silly. Come on. But, uh, so anyway, you know, I didn't really have a lot of, um, comic book background coming into, into Civil War, but I do love the Marvel films and, um, Age of Ultron, the first Avengers movie to me is just absolutely pure joy. Yeah. I love that movie. I love the character interactions. I love, I just, it, it's all gold. It's just pure gold. Like, um, you know, when, when, when <laughs> Captain America opens up, opens up the box and Iron Man's like, okay, okay, tell me what you see. Uh, seems to run on some form of electricity. That's my favorite line in that entire movie. <laughs> it's, it's just it's, like, you know, it's just like. Everything is so smart. Like everything that, char- that the characters do and say is that 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 is exactly what Cap would say in that moment, or what Thor would do, or what you know how Thor is just presented as the Earth's cool big brother who just wants to take care of everything, and you know Tony and 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 Steve and, and everybody is just is just absolutely perfect in that in 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 that movie. And I feel like Age of Ultron. Most of the character interaction stuff um, I thought was 
I thought was fine. Those to me are my favorite moments. And the weirder stuff like, you know, Thor and the weird mystical pool. And then he pulls this crazy Dr. Frankenstein move to bring the vision to life. Just the the weirder stuff in that movie I like. Most of the character stuff I think really works. But the actual story itself, I just really kind of had a hard time getting into. James Spader did excellent work as, as the voice of Ultron, but I just, I just, I just couldn't. I couldn't quite get get into it the way that I got into the original Avengers. Um, Civil War to me was you know kind of a, a a step back to you know that really that really just character driven stuff. And even though even though emotionally, here's the thing: I love I love it when the characters I love are challenged. As a member of the audience, I like to be challenged. As my character favorite characters are challenged. Um, but you know, sometimes to me, I just feel like it can go it can too it can go too far to the point where it's just not fun anymore and it's just unpleasant. And I feel like with Civil War, the reason it worked so well is even though it's hard, it's so difficult to see Steve and Tony at each other's throats, and that fight at the end is just so it's physically brutal, but it's also just emotionally devastating. It works because they're both right. They're both right at the end in their own way. And you can understand where each guy is coming from. And it's, you know, and I, I've, I've heard this said before, I think by, uh, uh, by Sean Gerber, um, who does the modern myth media podcast that, uh, that I was on for many years, uh, love Sean to death. He made, he made the comment that the reason that these guys are fighting is not because they hate each other. It's because they love each other. And I think that's the key to what makes it ultimately, ultimately work. And I'm going to stop talking so we can get into the into the details of <laughs> details of the characters and everything else. But uh, it's it, it's a difficult movie for me in the sense that it, it hurts me to see characters I love fighting each other. But at the same time, uh, I'm glad that we've spent enough time with these characters and love these characters so much that uh, um, it, it it feels. It, it 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 makes sense and it works and as always it leaves us uh, very excited about what uh, what comes next. Yeah, and I think there's plenty of opportunity for criticism of a huge franchise like this just because it's a franchise. You know, people saying, "Well, why do we have 16 superhero movies instead of 16 original sci-fi properties?" And while I love to see more sci-fi properties, um, you yeah, give me both. Yeah, definitely. You couldn't really have the sort of emotional impact that um, uh, Civil War had without the weight of all these other stories behind it. And I mean, yeah. that's coming from someone who has seen all of them. I, I think it would certainly work for you if you didn't. But some of the connections in it were really um, built on what had come before very well. Yeah, I remember when I first came out of it, um, I've seen it twice now, um, when I first came out of it, I, I was like, this is the movie that my, my I don't even remember how old it was, 18-year-old self would have died if I'd seen back in like 2012, um, back when I was like fully, fully entrenched in Marvel to the same level that I am in Star Wars now, but in a different level as well, because um, like I said- Back when lot- I was 37, sweet lord. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's not that long ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like like I said, um, uh, Civil War is my favorite comic thing. And when the Marvel movies, when the first Avengers movie came out, it was kind of the first sign that 
I could that eventually I would see a Civil War movie, that maybe this would actually happen one day. And I wasn't sure if it ever would. I didn't know if Marvel was going to go as big as they ended up going, or if they'd keep going, or if they'd die out, or if they'd avoid Civil War, because of it would be so damn hard to do, which it looks like it would have been really hard to do because of how how much, how much different it is from Ultron. There's, there's a lot of things that can go wrong with movies like this. And so even though I'm not as in love with Marvel now, and even though I have issues with the MCU now that I didn't have back then like it it was kind of crazy like even if i hated marvel now like if i if i passionately hated the series or the the mcu in general like i would have come out of that movie like still loving it for my younger self's sake because it perfectly captured the tone of of the comics and also managed to perfectly capture how tony had really good reasons for doing what he was doing and he totally went too far and ruined everything in the same way that cap kind of does as well and that's just why I love the comic so much is that even though things got really bad on both sides and they both do things that are are not particularly good to be doing and can totally be criticized for, but they both begin with such good such good motivation for it. And I even though I am I am on Cap's team, at the same time I'm also like Cap you why this is this is not good. I don't agree with you, but also I'm not I'm I'm on that side. Like both in my heart and in my head, I guess. But at the same time, I also understand that it's not particularly the best side to be on. Um, my main, my main issue is that, like, like you said earlier, Megan, that Tony doesn't learn, and it's hard to, for me, it's hard to identify with Tony because his character growth seems so over the place sometimes, like all over the place. Um, yeah, like, I'm not, I'm not gonna disagree with that. It does. Yeah. And I, I love Tony in the comics. He was one of my favorite characters. Um, in the movies, less so, Ultron kind of dipped him down a little bit. Um, I, I mostly love, like, the side characters now. Like, I love Sam. Sam is amazing. And T'Challa is so cool. Such good, such good side characters in this one. Yeah, and Nat is badass. Like, I'm so happy she had such a good role in this after what happened to her in Ultron. And I was just like, this is all I want. I just want, I want Nat being her cool self. I'll tell you what, the reason the Marvel movies are so good is you can have a moment like, you know, Steve standing in the church by himself after Peggy's funeral. And that shows up not because she's got information about the next mission, not because, you know, she has, well, it's, it's, it's because she didn't want her friend to be alone. Yeah. That's why the Marvel movies are so good that, that you can, that they, that they're smart enough to, um, to find those character moments and those character interactions. I mean, God, the, the, the way the friendship between Cap and, and, and Nat expanded in Winter Soldier was just fantastic. And to see that, to see that continue here in, in, um, in, in, in Civil War is just, is just fan, fantastic. I think that, um, you know, you, you look at Iron Man 2 and, I just didn't see the writing there for um, for for for, Nata- for Natasha to become uh, the character that she uh, really started to become in the Avengers, but then in in Captain America: Winter, the Winter Soldier, she just they just completely opened that character up. Um, uh, I still think that um, what what do you what 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 do you both think is the best Black Widow movie so far? I think it's I think it's Winter Soldier. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree. She um, she doesn't she doesn't get to do quite as much in 
in Civil War because they're they're just juggling so many so many characters. But uh, I still I love her to death as a character, and I think Scarlett Johansson is just uh, just fantastic. She's really grown into it, and the character has has grown as a result uh, as a result of what she's done with it. I was definitely more attached to her after um, Winter Soldier than I had ever been before. She had really good fights in uh, Civil War. The first, I can't get over how much I love that very first fight scene where it shows Falcon's new abilities, uh, Black Widow's like new abilities. Um, I thought her fight choreography is getting better and better. And that a lot of characterization comes through it. She's still not my favorite. I, I was glad they gave Wanda a larger part in this story because I could really um, sort of identify with her in a way that I couldn't really with Black Widow. But they're definitely getting better at sort of knowing how to use Black Widow. Yeah. And I'm glad... It's such a silly thing to be happy about, but I'm so glad they didn't make Black Widow and Scarlet Witch fight because, like, p- things have a habit of when there's two teams and there's, there's one woman per team because, you know, they've got to have that one lady quota on both sides. Um, the lady's usually the ones fighting because, you know, men can't beat up girls or something. And in this movie, they're like, whatever. They're just going to they're gonna fight everyone. And so, you know, Scarlet Witch is, like, throwing cars at Iron Man and stuff. Like, it's She's so just cool. like... She just runs the show. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. I mean, I definitely noticed it has That's a the, very good point. It has the one woman per team syndrome. Um, I still think Marvel can do better on that count in the movies, but Wanda like stole the show in that scene. So, and there was it was everybody fighting everybody. Yeah, and I definitely yeah the Wanda stuff. Sorry. <laughs> oh, go ahead, Seth. I no, no, like please go ahead. Wanda a lot more when she's not being directed by um, Joss Whedon. <laughs> like we all know, I have issues with how he handles characters, but I really don't like his Wanda. But I really liked her in this movie, and I haven't really been a fan of her in the comics anyway. So like, finally starting to grow to love this character is just really cool. Yeah, I I almost felt like the movie was. And again, I understand where, where it's coming from with the story that uh, that from the beginning, I thought the whole thing was really unfair to Wanda, and it was really unfair to put all of it on her shoulders. I mean, okay, whether whether she contained crossbones on the ground and a few people died on the ground, or whether she contained him in midair and a few people died a few stories up, a few people were going to die. Period. He unleashed this weapon. People were going to die. Because of what she did, everybody didn't die. Because that's what would have happened. Everybody would have died if she had not intervened. And I don't know. I just felt that it was kind of... Um, I just felt that it was really... In some ways, the film seemed particularly cruel to her. For her to have to feel ashamed of stopping what could have been this 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 cataclysmic disaster. And I kind of felt the same thing, too, when, you know, Thunderbolt Ross comes in and he starts showing, OK, Avengers, let me show you some footage of you guys not destroying the world, but saving it. And I expect you to feel ashamed of this. Yeah. You know, when you know, when, when he comes out and he says, well, you, you don't even know where uh, where Thor and, and the Hulk are. You know, a couple of atomic weapons running around free. If I were Captain America... If I were Steve, I would have said, you know what, General Ross, um, where, where's Emil Blonsky right now? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's right. How, how did that work out for you? You know, I, I, just, I just felt like for, for General Ross, who was completely responsible for uh, the abomination disaster that destroyed half of Harlem, uh, to be 
suddenly you know you know throw it, throwing out life lessons to the Avengers about how uh, how they're destructive. I thought that was um, extremely hypocrit- hypocritical and maddening. But at the same time, though, I think that's that's good writing because it. You're, you're supposed to feel that way. It's like of all the people who should be in this room telling the Avengers they should be ashamed, this is the last guy. This is the last guy who should be able to say that. But here he is. And um, it's just um, – in a lot. there were lots of things about the movie that I felt were infuriating but in in a good story way. Did you how – did you, how did you two feel about that? Yeah, I, I agree. Oh, you can go ahead, Seth. Okay, sorry. Um, I – I agree with you, like with with them saving people and then ending up with more people dying. But in the end, they they save a grander, they they save the world essentially. Like with um, Ultron, like they destroy that city, they kill a lot of people. But if they hadn't done that, the entire world would have died, and a lot of people seem to have trouble getting that in their heads. But at the same time, we also know that it's all Tony Stark's fault that that happens. So he should, in my opinion, he should be the one penalized for that, not the entire Avengers, but also he is part of them. So as a, as a group, they do all have to deal with that responsibility. But when it comes to, they mentioned the stuff from the first Avengers movie with Loki and everything, and also like you can't, you can't put that onto this Avengers because this was not their fault in any way. They saved right. the world right. there. If they hadn't yes. acted, yes, that like that. They they had no part in causing that in the first place. So I saw like when they brought in the footage of like the giant alien things like flying through New York, and right. I was like that that wasn't their right. fault. Right, exactly. Well said, Seth. Because exactly that's that was my point. Exactly. You know the the Ultron stuff. Yes, you can put that to an extent, and some could argue to a very large extent at Sony's feet. But the first Avengers. I mean, there was so much of that footage was from the first Avengers, and it's like okay. Yes, uh, a big part of downtown New York was destroyed because we contained an alien invasion to a few blocks. If we hadn't, uh, they would have uh, destroyed the entire world probably in a matter of days, and and that would have been and that would have been it. So uh, again, I think it was it was a genius move to bring in Thunderbolt Ross as the Avengers accuser uh, because you know so much so much of um, of of of. Politics so often uh, and authority is is unfair and often hypocritical and I think that's just something that uh, you know emotionally everybody can kind of understand and and and, and tap into in, into I thought it was a genius way to go about it. Yeah, that's something that didn't bug me when I was watching the movie, but that as soon as people started talking about it on the internet, I would say that I agree. The fact that they never really brought up that. The government was just as willing to destroy New York as the Avengers were. They were just going to do it in a different way. And yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. Think, they shot a nuke. Yeah, like <laughs> like there they were going to be responsible for nuking New York. So I think there were some points that could have been made in that conversation about New York specifically, which were not made. Um, the thing with Wanda is interesting because. While I like her story, I like that she has a story which is the big emotional hook of the movie. You know, she did something, you know, depending on, you can argue what to what degree it's damaging, but it was damaging. And she has to learn to deal with that and learn to use her powers in a way that she feels is appropriate. Um, that could have been the main story of this movie, like... They, I felt that they, the writers did a good job of something that 
I feel like would have been a struggle to write, which is making Wanda have a good character arc without making her the main character. And I do think this happens a lot with female characters. Um, writers are trying to give them good arcs and trying to give them um, character development, but sort of don't have a chance to or aren't quite sure how to tell the story from their perspective. And like, I mean, this is a Captain America movie. This is not the Scarlet Witch movie. But I did feel that I liked her story a lot, um, but we got it a lot through the lens of other people. We got it a lot through what's Tony's perspective on her, what is um, the Vision's perspective on her. And I did think that that was a slightly odd way to approach a story that was for her very central to her and also to the entire movie. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but you're so right. And it's like Megan Megan often is. Uh, <laughs> and and not to say that um, you know, the whole movie should have been about her or even that I have a particularly good suggestion for ways to change the script, but I did feel that they still have a little ways to go in order to tell scenes convincingly from her perspective. And mind you, I actually really liked the like sort of burgeoning romance between Wanda and the Vision, I, for once, my um, suggestion is not just take the romance out and then it will be fine. <laughs> I think there's ways to do both <laughs> in this case. No, I like it. I, I, I like it a lot, too. I like it a lot, too, because, you know, in, in you know, the Vision, the Vision wants to feel human and Wanda sometimes feels like she's not human. So I feel like there's just this there's this place in the middle where these two characters can just sort of um, you know, exist with each other, and you know, sort of seeing that uh, the beginnings of that, I think it's uh, it's really beautiful and it's really it's really interesting. I love it. Plus, yeah, a, a great great chemistry too between between the actors. Paul Bettany is just fantastic. I I, I love him to death and everything that he's in, and uh, it's it's we were given a real gift by uh, uh, by his uh, his his being cast as the Vision. We really truly, were. Truly. He is. I had no clue what to expect from the vision in a movie form, and he is just perfect for it. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Um, actually, so, one of the one of the other characters. Sorry, really quickly, one of the other characters um, that we haven't talked about much who came into this movie. One of the ones introduced in this was Black Panther, T'Challa, yeah. who I am <sighs> in love with. That's so what much. I was gonna say. So <laughs> good. Great My mind, fave, T'Challa. <laughs> Oh, he's amazing. And um cuz Chadwick Boseman is so regal. Yeah. He's so regal. I mean, even even when even even in his 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 fiercest most savage moments of combat, there's still this 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 regal kingly air about him. And he just he just totally brings it home, man. I just I just uh gosh, he's an, he's he's incredible. And really, I feel like he gets he gets he gets the best he gets the best emotional arc of the entire thing. His 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 final scene uh, between uh, between between him and Daniel Bruhl as uh, as 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 Zemo that's that's amazing. That's I mean that that's an arc, and he just totally 
he, he totally makes you believe it from, you know, from, 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 from the son who, who holds his, his father on this pedestal to the son who, you know, forgives the man responsible for his father's death at the end for two reasons, A, mercy and B, justice. Oh man, uh, that's, that's, that's a good way it, to it, put it. It gives me it gives me chills. It gives me chills just to think about it. Oh, so good. Man, just so you good. saying that makes me want to go see this movie again just for that one scene. <laughs> oh, me too. I can't well, wait let's, for a movie. Let's like, go. Let's 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 go. Let's go. Right now. <laughs> Seth fly Seth fly over and yeah, we'll 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 meet and we'll get this done. Yeah, okay. All right. We've already got this plan. Or we'll fly to you. Made. Let's we'll, we'll actually fly to you. Megan, let's go on a, we, let's go on an adventure. Let's oh, okay. It. That works too. That's fine. <laughs> okay, okay. Some but, place where we can eat pizza afterward. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> T'Challa's story was, I think, a textbook example of making a side character have a fully realized arc. And the um, charisma of the actor really helped. From that very first scene, he's regal, he's vulnerable, he's charismatic, and that just kept going after he put on the suit. And he's so pretty. Indeed. I was going to say the Black Panther suit, not the like Armani suit, but I guess that would be okay too. <laughs> the Black Panther suit looks really cool. It's a really good translation of a suit. Uh, it looks movie. fantastic. Yeah. It is. Um, yeah. I never read much Black Panther like singularly. And two. But I, he, he captured the character. Like I saw him a lot in the Avengers comics that I read and he captured that character so well. Like there's of all of, okay, wait. Yeah, of all of the side characters that have come into the Marvel movies, like, over the years, I feel like Black Panther is potentially one of the best transitions from comic page to cinema screen. Yeah, and and I'm actually, I'm the same way, Seth. I had not previously read much Black Panther, and I'm glad that I hadn't, because I feel like the film does a really nice job of of introducing this character. You You meet him as a prince. Who you know by by the tragedy of his father's death becomes a king, but even though he's a king at this at this crucial time, he still is tied to this to this legacy of the Black Panther this 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 myth um, uh, among his people that is that is that is real and to see him embody that it just it's almost like. I, I I just felt like I was discovering the world of the Black Panther along with the rest of the Avengers. And it actually made me glad that I had that that I wasn't really that familiar with. I mean, I I, I knew all the basics, but uh, it it felt good to kind of be um, to kind of be discovering that character along with uh, with the rest of the film, which to me is what really made that that final scene between uh, between him and Zemo really 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 drove that home. Um, again, it was just, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say the same thing that I said about, uh, Paul Bettany. It is an absolute gift to have an actor of, uh, Mr. Bozeman's, um, uh, caliber, uh, bringing this character to life. And I am so excited now to see what his solo movie is going to be like. Oh, yes. And I also liked with Black Panther how, um, cause with Tony and Cap on both sides, they're very blind to their vision of what they what they need to achieve in this movie like tony's like okay we need to get control we need to make sure things don't happen whereas cap's like okay we need free will we need to be able to act when we need to act kind of thing and they they don't really see each other's point of view on both sides and at first you have black panther who's like you have t'challa who's like okay i want to get revenge for my dad so he ends up on tony's side because that's the side that matches him and then by the end of the movie you see him helping cap and bucky um in i forgot Wakanda and Wakanda um 
like he's hiding them out and he's like they can come i'll fight them i'll fight them for you guys and it's such a big change from where he was at the start of the movie but it also says so much for his character that he was willing to learn um when he learned the truth and he, he wasn't so blinded absolutely. yeah by his by his vengeance or whatever he wasn't so blinded by what he thought was right that he was willing to step back and you know have that conversation with zemo um and not just straight up kill him or anything he he realized what he had to do and even though he spent the entire right. movie trying to kill Bucky, at the end he was willing to risk his life for Bucky. Yeah, it, he did. I mean, you're, you're exactly right. He went there. He went there for blood. And when he realized, okay, well these 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 aren't the these aren't the people I should be trying to get this blood from. Oh wait, this guy, this guy. Now I'm alone with this guy. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, nope, nope. <laughs> sorry, pal. Sorry, pal. Uh, you, you know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna let you take the easy way out because, again, it's 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 one part mercy, one part justice. Um, all parts badass, and I'm so I'm so excited to see that next movie. Now, so tell me this, and it's, it's, Saf, you mentioned this, and I, I, this is this is something about the film that I'm not sure how how I feel about is is at the end where they put Bucky back on ice. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. In other words, I feel like so much of the film is about taking responsibility for your actions, standing up for who you are, and you know, drawing that line in the sand of this is who I am, this is what I believe. Uh, I almost feel like it's 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 too much of an easy way out for for Bucky. I feel like he he's never going to move forward. He's never going to heal from what's happened if if he just goes back on ice. I don't know. How do you guys feel about that? So. I've got more attached to all of these characters than I had been before, except for Bucky. I think I'm less attached to Bucky than I was before, because we just didn't get a lot from him. He was sort of shell-shocked the whole time, which mm-hmm. is, I mean, understandable for right. his situation. Right. But it was hard to um, for me to see what was going on inside his head, or to get a really accurate picture of how much he didn't know what was going on inside his head, so obviously he was being brainwashed. You could argue that he considered himself dangerous, but he never really said that. Um, And you got a good look at the attachment between him and Cap, but there was almost more attachment between them when they were fighting than when they were on the run together. Um, And I thought, basically, in the last half of this movie... Bucky became much less interesting, and I wish I was able to articulate that in a more specific manner, because all, all I'm getting at is, like, they put him back on ice because they didn't know what else to do with him. I don't know. Saf, do you think that? I think, yeah, I agree. I think Bucky kind of fell into the role that a lot of female characters end up having, that they are a plot device, and then once their plot huh. has, like, once the plot has moved on and their their n- use is over that the writers are saying, like, we don't know what to do with them. But obviously they can't just kill Bucky off, which is what, you know, sometimes happens when you get a character in that place. So, you know, putting him on ice is the easiest thing to do in that situation. And maybe they do have plans for an iced Bucky, and maybe they don't entirely know what they're going to do with him. But, yeah, I did not find... I mean, I've, I was more attached to Bucky in the first movie. Winter Soldier in this movie, I was all like, eh, whatever. Um, I've read, I've read more Captain America that had old school Bucky in it than new Captain America with Winter Soldier Bucky. And so that also partly comes from what I know from the comics. And also, yeah, I don't really find him that interesting when he is like the brainwashed soldier who's fighting Captain America because he can't help it. Um, 
and yeah in this movie like when when they were being friends again they were helping each other at the end like it was cool seeing them fight together so cool seeing them fight together but the emotional responses between them weren't as exciting in my opinion yeah and in in the winter soldier especially the the emotion came from how this affected cap you know to see to see his old buddy as this you know as this this mindless murderous assassin machine basically and uh you know i feel like that just as we were at the point of really starting to feel how this has affected bucky and how this is this has changed how how this affects his his life and and how it changes his heart and how he moves forward now from from all of this now that he's freed they just put him right back on ice again so like i said that was that was kind of that was kind of a disappointment uh a disappointment to me and and, and also quickly i wanted to say that i I love the character, the Helmet Zero character um, that uh, that Daniel Brühl played. Daniel Brühl was fantastic in the role, but I, I I didn't like it that his name was Helmet Zemo. It's, you know, Baron mm-hmm. Zemo obviously is 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 this incredible villain in the comics, and I, I know that there are just hundreds and hundreds of of Marvel characters, and you can't. There's just no way in the movie universe that you can. Uh, that you can you can you know, do justice to all of them, or you can bring all of them in. But I feel like the movie would have been just as effective, and maybe even more so, if rather than being Helmet Z- Zemo, he was uh, like Todd, Todd Sokovia. You know, just this mm. this random just this random guy who is smart enough to figure out how how to hurt these people who he feels are responsible for for the destruction of his life. And I like that it wasn't some world ending, uh, thing that the, the, the Avengers had to band together to, to, to stop. Sometimes I feel like these, with these movies, uh, it doesn't always have to be a world ending universe shattering thing. That's, that's going to happen. I feel like it's better sometimes when it's kind of a smaller, uh, more personal story. So I like the fact that it was just, you know, that this, that this one heartbroken man, uh, took his revenge, uh, you know, too, way too far. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll now have to pay the, pay the price for it. I just wish that they hadn't, uh, wasted the name of one of these great classic Marvel characters. So I think could have, uh, you know, done his own thing maybe in a future, in a future film. Cause I also feel like now if they say, okay, well, we're going to turn, we're now we're going to turn him into the, uh, you know, the, the super villain Baron Zemo, then I almost feel like it's, 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 that would be a disservice to, to the character of the family man who just snapped and went too far. It's like, I, I believed his motivation then, but now you're just turning into this mustache twirling bad guy. And I just, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure how I feel about that either. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's unlikely we'll see him come back as that character unless it's like a side thing. Right. Because they seem to have much bigger plans for the heroes from now on, I think. Yeah. 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 Zemo was so, not a, a strength of it for me. I felt like he was definitely a character of convenience he had a decent story for what he was but he was there more to make the heroes do things than to be someone in his own right which is really i guess um a testament to how good how solid the story was because even with him being sort of a uh, i think relatively fragile uh fragile story it had thematic resonance with t'challa's story there was a lot in this movie about uh, sons' relationship to fathers. Everyone from 
um, Tony and his parents to T'Challa and his father to Vision and Tony, arguably, and Zemo fit right in there. Um, but he was, he was more, um, for the service of the, of other people's stories, but what I was sort of getting at was that end scene was still so important and it was, um, uh, sort of permitted because of what Zemo's story was, and I appreciate it for that, even though, like, he's not, he's nowhere on my list of favorite Marvel villains. And I haven't read the comics, so just, you know, take that as you will. Yeah, I've never encountered him in the comics, I think. Which, like, everyone was like, I think when they announced his, like, name in the movie, and I was like, and I was like, oh, okay, this is a weird name. And everyone, and somebody near me was like, oh, and I was like, okay, I, okay, he's from the comics, but I don't know who he is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and, and that and that's the thing too, you know, it, that that if um, like if if Azim had been Todd Sokovia, that you know, it's 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 still not going to mean anything to the people who don't know the character from the comics. But for the people who do love the, know and love the character from from the comics, I feel like I said it was just kind of kind of a waste, sort of a waste of that character. I I mean, when I when I was a kid, I had the Secret Wars action figures. Uh, which were incredible action figures. Paul Herman, um, um, uh, another of our uh, Force Cast uh, uh, compatriots. Uh, Paul and I have talked uh, often at length about our action figure collections as kids and how we loved, you know, making up battles between the Captain America figure and the and the and the, and the Baron uh, the Baron Zemo figure. So I I, I kind of felt like. Um, the, not the character as played by Daniel Bruhl and an incredible acting performance by Daniel Bruhl was certainly not a waste, but I felt like naming him Baron Zemo was kind of a waste of that character. Sort of how I felt like um, the beginning of the movie is kind of a waste of the Crossbones character and uh, an incredible actor in Frank Grillo. I feel like, you know, it was, I feel like there was a lot more that could be and should have been done with, uh, could have been and should have been done with, with Crossbones. Of course, this being the Marvel Universe, I'm sure that they'll find some way to pull him out of whatever pocket of whatever that Wanda zipped him into. But <laughs> he, he <laughs> I, was kind of a cool I, villain. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just, I don't know. He was so he was fairly prominent in Civil War, you know. And um, gosh, I don't know. I don't know. It's I felt like it was kind of a waste of him too. Yeah. So speaking of. The comics and the movies, I guess. Um, neither of you read the comics, did you? The Civil War comics? No. Not all of them. I, I did read a few, but uh, you... I was just so overwhelmed by the size of the story that I didn't, uh, I never read the whole thing. That's fair. Did you get like a sense for which team you were on when you read the comics? Uh, I think, I think, in, I think in the comics, it was easier to be on Team Cap. Yeah. Where in the film, where in the film, I understood, like I, I understood where 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 Cap was coming from, and I love Cap, and you know I'm gonna throw that word out there. Chris Evans has been a gift <laughs> to us as Captain. I keep coming back to that word like a broken record, but uh, he's just been so he's so fantastic as 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 Cap, and he brings just so much of the the soul and the conviction to it that I understand where he's coming from, but maybe not the best way to do it. And I think throughout the the, the course of the film, he, he maybe is a little bit uh, blinded to, to the, you, you, you've got the duty to your friend and, and doing what you feel is, is right. But what are, what are the bigger consequences? And I, I like the fact that 
um, of all of, of everybody on the team um, that, you know, Natasha is the one who is, is, is the most comfortable and the best suited, I think to, to tell him, you know, it's like, Hey Steve, you know, this may by this may not be the best, the best way to go about this, you know? And, um, I don't know. It was difficult. I, I don't know whose team I'm on. I really don't. And I guess that's, that says a lot about the, that says a lot about the film that I just, I just don't know because I can, I can see both sides. And again, that's why, that's why the ending hurts so much because, you know, to, to an extent they're both, they're both right. Yeah. And that's, again, that's just when it's, that's what made it so hard. Yeah. And that's something I think they captured well from the comics. I mean, there are differing opinions on that. Some people don't agree with me. Um, I remember when I read the comics the first time, I was way team Iron Man until nearer the end when he brought out, you know, there was the Thor clone and everything. And it all went, it turned, it turned all mess then. Um, and that's kind of when I swapped teams when I was reading the comics. Um, when I went to the movies right. this time, I was like, yeah, I'll be, I'm team Cap. Like from the start, I was kind of like that. Um, I watched the movie and after thinking about it more afterwards, I'm like, yeah, I'm still, I'd, I'd yeah, still say I'm tough. team Megan, Cap, but I think? can also like totally understand where Tony's coming from and the fact that they balance that so well is really good I think hey, Seth, and I'm sorry um, I was just talking I was sorry I was just talking over you both I, I had a, a microphone issue and realized I was talking over everybody my well, apologies I think we all just broke up a little oh, bit it'll be if crazy. you guys can both just backtrack about a, like 15 seconds we could just we could just try that again okay all right 15 seconds I don't know what Something that was. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> what did you last hear me say I last? Heard, um, Chef, you were talking about you went in expecting to be Team Cap and then oh, then yeah. something else. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I went to the movie like knowing I would be Team Cap and I came out of it being like, yeah, I'm, I'm still Team Cap. But like the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I'm not really either team either. Like I know I'm more Team Cap because of the characters on that team. <laughs> are more the characters I love um and I guess I would like if I was in that situation I would be more like Nat that I would just be kind of like swapping sides a little bit and just aligning with my friends um in the way that she does and I think it is really a testament to how balanced they wrote the movie that you can see both sides well and you can understand that both sides have really good points and both sides have really bad points um and it I think in a way that the saying like which team you're on minimizes the the characters and what they go through in the movie but also it's really fun to do yeah it's 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 tough again especially when everybody starts throwing down and you just feel like this is such a this is such a waste of of energy people what you know why are we why are we doing this why are we fighting and it's just i don't know again that part of it is 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 is, is tough and every time i would get caught up in the excitement of how cool the action was because, you know, again, there's a lot of really inventive, really, really cool stuff that goes on in the action and the choreography. I would step back and be like, yeah, but I don't want Rhodey to be fighting Falcon and I don't want Spider-Man to be, you know, fighting with these guys. It's it's just I don't know. It's it's uh, it was just it was it was kind of a tough movie for me as as, as much as I liked as I like it, it. It also just sort of makes me kind of sad. Kind of bummed me out a little bit, I'll be honest. Yeah. Sort of goes back to what Saf was saying earlier, that this is like the ultimate 
fandom movie. I was definitely, right. as I was watching it, I was like, I'm enjoying this right now at the age of 27. I'm enjoying this immensely. But if I was 16 or 13 and had, I guess it would be hard to have the same sort of experience at 13 because like these movies have been coming out for my entire adult life but you know if I was at the height of my like Marvel fandom this would be just like blowing my mind in a different way and it it still did and I think it was sort of um I don't want to say it was the ultimate uh summer movie or anything like that but it did exactly what a modern comic book movie with a huge fandom should do right Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, well said. Yeah. Well said. Um, any any last thoughts on Civil War from either of you? Um, I would love to uh, talk a little bit about Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. We, um, <laughs> I was saying I, I want to talk about Sam. So, John, you can go, go ahead. Well, you know, I... Um, you know, at, at the time, you know, looking back on it, it hasn't, it it hasn't aged particularly well. But the uh, the first Spider Man with uh, with Tobey Maguire, um, I really felt like you know at, at that time in my life, especially that it just it it captured the character of Spider Man pretty well for me, and I feel like Spider Man Two um, also captured it pretty well uh, as well. Peter Parker to me has always been a character that anybody can relate to because we, we always feel like all of us have felt like we have all, we have all had an unrequited crush on somebody. We have all um, had trouble, you know, paying our bills. We've all had, you know, trouble. um, We've all felt like our best isn't enough. And we've all had that moment where you felt like no matter how hard you try, or no matter how much you think your heart is in the right place, you still end up hurting somebody that you care about. And it's just all of those things are so relatable, which is why I think Spider-Man is such a relatable character. Um, I didn't, I never really connected to, I thought Andrew Garfield's performance was good, but I never really connected to that presentation, I guess, of, of, of Peter Parker in, uh, uh, in, in his two films. So, to me, this was by far the the best on-screen Spider-Man yet, because I really feel like very in a very efficient and emotional way, they really got to you know the heart of the character. And they trusted the audience in ways that they haven't always trusted the audience in Spider-Man films. I still can't believe that the that the first Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie was an origin story. That the whole movie was an origin story. I can't believe it i cannot believe it and that's why it was such a a breath of fresh air here that they trust the audience to know what the deal is with spider-man and just hit the ground running and telling and 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 tell a story it's so amazing to me like again the only origin movie the only origin that i that i needed in this movie i got when peter very awkwardly and sweetly and sadly tries to explain to tony what happens when you've got the ability to do something and you don't and bad things happen and the way his voice cracks at, at the end of that little speech, you never need to be told that he's talking about uncle Ben because you know it, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's just such a, such a beautiful moment in, in Tom Holland's performance, the way his voice almost squeaks a little bit at the end of that speech, because 
it's just you know it's it's he's about six months out from his uncle's murder that was his fault and it's just you know trying to put that into words to to iron man of all people uh is just uh that's just really a sweet and, and again sad and beautiful moment and there's also another great moment in the fight where i think it's bucky flings a car door at spider-man from behind and spider-man ducks ducks something that's coming at him from behind and it's like okay that's really cool he just used his spider sense but we don't have to go into this 360 degree slow motion camera angle to show that his spider sense worked you just showed it in action in real time and you don't have to stop and explain to the audience oh hey he just used his spider sense we just got to see it how it would be if we were actually watching it in action and I just, I just thought that was fantastic. And I love that, you know, as the battle progressed, Tony begins to realize, man, I just brought a 16 year old kid into the middle of a, a fight with these Titans, you know, and, and, and even Tony begins to realize, okay, maybe I'm taking this too far because of, because of Peter. And it all then culminates in this great moment between, between Peter and, uh, between Spidey and Cap when they, you know, both realize that, uh, hey, we're just a couple of kids, uh, a couple of kids from New York. And look where we are right now. Such a good dialogue. uh, You know that's so good, so good. So you know, for for me, it was just uh, it was just a real joy to see uh, a really pure version of of Spider Man. You know, I I, there are things about the Tobey Maguire films that I will always remember fondly and love those films for, uh, especially at the time of my life that uh, when when those came out, Um, never really never really felt any connection whatsoever to the Andrew Garfield stuff through, through no fault at, at all of Mr. Garfield. Uh, it's just the way that those films were, were written just never really quite drew me in. But from, from the moment, from the moment we meet Peter just how nervous he is when he walks into the apartment and there's, there's Iron Man sitting on the couch, uh, with your aunt, um, uh, who, by the way, I just, I've had the hugest crush on Marissa Tomei since she was on a different world. And I've just always had a huge crush on her. So it's, Kind of strange to see her as Aunt May, uh, especially because uh, I'm not that far away in age from her. That's kind of odd, but um, she's just uh, she's a fantastic actress, and I'm I'm curious to see when we get to Spider Man's first solo movie uh, a little bit more of that interaction between uh, between Aunt May and Peter. Uh, but yeah, kudos to Tom Holland, who was just again very um, he just brought so much humanity to it, you know, and and it was it was. And it was in a way that was, again, just really efficient and subtle. And it's like we're we're referencing things that we that we know that everybody knows about Spider Man. So we don't have to beat you over the head with it. We're going to trust this young actor to uh, tell you the whole story by not telling it to you in exposition. And I love that. I love that very much about it. Mm. What do you guys think? I I wasn't super attached to spider-man mostly i liked that they used a lot of comedy with him but i think the choice to make him significantly younger was a good one um it outlined tony stark's uh bad decisions a little bit yes 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 perfectly there was child endangerment happening here but it also (laughs) made this a very unique spider-man and um I thought he was entertaining and that's kind of all he needed to be for me. So that was good. Yep. Yeah. Um, this is, I'm, I've never been much of a big Spider-Man fan. 
Um, I don't know why. I can't pinpoint why I've never really liked him that much, but I really liked him in this movie, I think. The writing was good, and the comedy for it was really good. Um, I'm still disappointed that they went with a white Spider-Man again, but I'm going to be forever disappointed about that until they start not doing that. Um, well, He did do it really well. I, I, I think, uh, I, I will say this about that, that I, and, and, and again, I don't care, I don't care what color Peter Parker is, but I, I do think it's important that it was, that it was Peter Parker for... And, and again, whether it was whether it was Tom Holland or, or, or whether you know if they if they hired somebody who was black or purple or or green to play Peter Parker, uh, I do think it was important that it be Peter Parker because again, that's it, that it, it's a character that everyone recognizes, and I think that when you're hitting the ground running in this, and you really need to bring in something that's that the audience can relate to, I do think it was important that it was Peter Parker. Does that make any sense? Hey. I- do understand what you're saying, but I think we will forever disagree on this one. <laughs> yeah, and again, I'm again, like I said, I'm, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing about uh, you know that it, that it that it that it could have been uh, a black actor. It's just, I, I just, I just really feel like for the for the purpose of this story, I think it needed to be a recognizable character that they could hit the ground running with some with with, with a character with a character who who everybody knew and recognized. And, uh, and again, I think that's why Peter Parker is so relatable because, you know, as I was saying earlier, we can all relate to feeling like our best is never enough. And I feel like that's a real hallmark of the, of, of the Spider-Man character. So that's why, that's why to me, I think it was important that it, that it be, that the character be Peter Parker. Yeah. I, I definitely don't know enough about the different iterations of Spider-Man to discuss why it needed to be Peter Parker versus anyone else, but this kind of segues a little bit into what I wanted to talk about, which was Sam's role and Rhodey's role, because although you didn't get the, like, two ladies fighting each other trope, you did kind of get the, like, one black sidekick on either side of the team trope. Yeah. And as much as I, I really love Falcon, like, Sam is one of my favorite characters from the MCU, mostly because I think his costume is really cool, but also because his loyalty and, like, his, um, he always brings something new. I haven't seen Ant-Man, so I can't really say what he brought to Ant-Man, but he had the drone in this one. Like, there's always something new and interesting they're doing with his costume, making the wings more, they were more bird-like in this one. Um, So I really liked him, but I always feel like I kind of have to say, like, I like Sam, I like Rhodey, but they definitely kind of got the short end of the stick when it comes to very much Sam's story is he's loyal to um cap unless i'm forgetting something that's his primary motivation and he also he knows how to take care of people like he's a counselor you know he talks to people um and i would have liked if we saw a little more of that yeah i love the character of sam one of my favorite moments in in this entire film was <laughs> will, you, will you move the seat up? Yeah, the, Sam and Bucky's interaction is so good. And Sam, you know, it's Sam, it's Sam refusing refusing to do it. I think that's uh, I think that's fantastic. And you know what what I love about Sam so much, and I think that Anthony Mackie sells it so well with his character is that this is just this is just a regular guy. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, yes, the suit has some pretty cool abilities. But this is just a regular guy who suits up and goes out there with, you know, super soldiers and, you know, super high technology 
people and magical people and you know it's just uh it's just it's just a f- really fantastic character to me because he he believes in something he believes in things the way that Steve Rogers believes in things but he doesn't have the the super soldier serum to to go along with it all he's got is his own you know his own courage and his own guts and that's and that's what he's got and he gets up every day and he goes out there and he does it and uh, i just really i really love that uh that aspect of uh of 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 the character and i loved uh, there is such a such a great believable friendship between the two in 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 winter soldier i mean the fact that cap goes to hang out and listen to you know the the veterans talking about their stories was really touching to me and and and, and as you said the fact that 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 sam is you know is, is the counselor and he's the guy who's the the cheerleader every day for those guys the, for those men and women to say that hey you know it's 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 we all have the same experiences and, and we're going to be okay and we can we we're going to be okay. I just, I, I love that. I love that about him. And, uh, I do agree that his character did not have as much to do maybe as I would have liked in, in civil war, but it is, it is difficult. It's really difficult to juggle that many, that many characters for sure. But, uh, I still, um, I still am uh, very pleased that we've got Anthony Mackie and I hope that they are able to do more with him in, um, in future films. Yeah. I hadn't actually thought about, that megan at all but you're totally right and i've noticed it a lot with roadie um in the movies because since iron man one basically he kind of got sidelined a little bit i don't remember what his role was in iron man 2 i could be totally wrong there because i haven't watched iron man 2 in a long time um but like even seeing roadie in this movie like i kind of knew he was going to be there but i'm also like man i like i forgot that the filmmakers actually cared about him in any way even though he's such a great character um and I thought I thought at least like the way that it was Falcon's fault that um Rhodey got knocked out of the air and nearly died was really interesting yeah. because of how Falcon or Sam yeah Sam lost his um wingmate and that's why he yeah. was in that area and the fact that it was his fault that Tony almost lost his that he almost killed um Rhodey like it it was really heavy and yeah, I feel like that hurts my heart. Yeah, I got I got really emotional. I was uh, big I, I nearly cried, nearly cried. They well, you know, it it, it 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 it's the kind of moment that really makes it real. You know, for the two guys who aren't super powered. You know, Rhodey's a guy in a suit of armor. Uh, Sam is a guy in a pair of mechanical wings, and we're out there in the middle of this. You know, this 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 big physical and ideological throwdown. And again, it suddenly gets very, very real when one of the two, when one of the two human guys gets, uh, gets, you know, potentially, uh, you know, potentially mortally wounded. And, uh, it was, it was a really heartbreaking moment. And, you know, the fact that I, I, Anthony Mackie really sold that well when he's sort of like walking up to the, to the scene of the crash and, 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 and really realizing the weight of what, what, what are we really doing here, guys? And, uh, man, it's very powerful. Yeah, and they're both sort of the voice of the average military person, too, because I think that's a lot of... I'm not as attached to Rhodey, because I think he's often um, part of the sort of military-industrial plots in the Iron Man movies, which I wasn't as interested in. But they both sort of... they're You're right, they're just average people that have cool equipment in the same way that, I guess, Clint is. So to see them... Rhodey was sort of the collateral damage in this, and that's very sad. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess yes. that's what happens with the characters that are important to characters in the movies, but not really made to be as important to the audience. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not like that's unique to them, or it's not like that's a particularly bad thing. That's just sort of how these stories work sometimes. But it's I did think it was pretty well done. Um, their roles on the team were pretty well done. They were just a little bit sidelined more than some others were. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. I have right? no other thoughts on I have many other thoughts yeah. on this movie. That's a lie. I have so many more thoughts. Um <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've been going almost two hours and I think this is this is good discussion. Yeah. Yeah. So any more things you guys want to say on Civil War? No, I I think that's it. I'm definitely excited for the Black Panther movie, not only for um Black Panther himself, but for Team Cap over there and getting to see more of what Wakanda is like um, because I have been reading the current Black Panther comic and the technology that they have in um, Wakanda is really cool. I think it'll be portrayed slightly differently in the movie just based on what we've seen from um, Black Panther's costume so far, but I'm interested to see what it looks like. Yeah, exactly. As with all of the other Marvel films, I just, um, you know, it leaves you in a place where you, you can't, you can't wait to see what happens next. And because this one was so emotional, it does kind of, kind of stick with you. You know, I just feel, you know, feel myself kind of thinking back to that, you know, to Tony, Tony reading, uh, reading Cap's letter at the end. And, you know, even though, even though you've just gone on this, this, this really emotional, um, just kind of an emotional wreck at the end of from, from seeing these guys fight, there's still that great moment when <laughs> Tony puts Thunderbolt, Ro- Thunderbolt Ross on hold <laughs> as a nice little callback to earlier to earlier in the film. And it's just, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it leaves you in a place of, of, of hope that even though, even though things are pretty fractured at the moment, that it's going to be, it's going to be okay again. It will be again. It will, it will be okay again someday. And I can't wait to see it, uh, to see it get there. Yep, definitely. Like we were talking about with books before, part of what I like about this so much is that sense of hope. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Because yeah, I was I was really saying I need I need hope in my in my stories, even if it isn't much. I need some, and this movie definitely leaves you with hope that things will be okay, and these characters are still friends. And it it's a heavy movie, but it's got a lot of comedy, and it's really well written, and the characterization is great. And I'm st- I'm just so happy that this movie actually ended up being as good as it is because it was it was the Marvel movie I was waiting for, and it's exactly what I wanted from it. Right, right, yep. yeah, yeah. So this is that's us. Very good. <laughs> that's us for this fortnight. Um, we'll be back in two more weeks with more things to talk about. Have no clue what yet, but it's going to be great. Thanks for listening to us. You can find us on ToshiStation.net and also on iTunes, I think on the Toshi Station feed. Yes, that's correct. The Toshi Station master feed, which now has us, the main Toshi Station show, the role-playing shows, all the things. <laughs> yeah, all the things. We are there. I'm so glad Megan knows where we are because sometimes I forget. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at Wanderlustin, W-A-N-D-R-L-U-S-T-I-N. Megan, where can we find you? You can find me at Blog Full of Words on Twitter. Um, you can also find a new story by me at StarWars.com um, as of this week. Woohoo! John, where can we find you? 
uh, on Twitter at John Beerly, uh, J-O-H-N-B-I-E-R-L-Y, and also at johnbeerly.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, John. Thank you again for having me. Again, it's it's uh, I've missed um, you know I've 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 been busy with lots of things. This is this is the first podcast that I have been on uh, in a very long time, and uh, it's uh, again it's 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 an honor to be um, to be on a Tashi Station show. I've been a huge fan of again the the fun and the personality and the intelligence and the heart that they bring to everything, and uh, to be. To be on and be able to do anything with uh, with the two of you is just an absolute treat and an honor and a blast. And uh, I hope to do it again. And I think you totally lived up to being the nicest person in the world during this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Our listeners now have a taste of that. Um, yeah, so for now, this is us. And until next time, don't forget to check the Western Reaches. <laughs>